When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. ridiculous welcome friends to perfect stranger things a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums today steve and i wrap up the first part of season four we talk about who might not survive at the end of this season we talk about what songs might save nancy from her vecna vision and we theorize a bit about the time themes that are pretty evident in this episode Okay, here's that lonesome dove diva. That's right, it's Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is a damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna sit right here and talk about it. Talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. Steve, recovering the massacre of Hawkins Lab. This is episode seven of the fourth season. Yeah. And I thought we could talk a little bit about this time theme before we actually get into the plot lines, because I feel like we don't want to miss this one. Right. So I've noted a few different little flags, little flags that suggest that there's a a time theme in this season and specifically in this episode. And of course, you know, we're dealing directly with the 1983 problem, right? Right. All right, so you tell me if you've seen any other ones. All right, so here's the ones I've noticed. At one point Brenner says, uh, "Take a journey into the past with me to L." We've had several clocks throughout, and you noted a few clock images. One's monologue. He he talks about how he feels constrained by the regular life of humans, and he talks about how like seconds, minutes, hours—they're all sort of a straight jacket for him. Right. Yeah. The rep- the repetition of like the 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 play like this. Right. Right. And, and then waiting for waiting for a resolution, which is essentially to get out of this time loop, essentially. That's right. That's right. You procreate and then check out, basically. So and then at one point in this episode, Dustin uses the phrase fabric of space and time, mm-hmm. which, you know, th- these are gates. You think about a gate, you go from one place to the next. Um, so that's the spatial element. Uh, we learn in this episode there's also a time element. Right. So for Dustin to say space and time. So I have not um, I have not exposed myself to any kind of online discussion on this topic. I'm just going on sort of the clues. Oh, is that is that the howl? That, yeah, it's a little bit of a whimper in the background, yeah. 
<laughs> so had a, he had a moment of, of realization that so uh, Heather was still not here. <laughs> so that's Steve's new dog, who who does howl from time to time. Uh, oh, not only does he howl. Okay, so last night we had him. Uh, we're like, oh, you know, he, he, he's a kennel dog. So we're like, oh, we'll have him in his little crate tonight, you know, while we mm-hmm. sleep. And, you know, he's howling. And and probably like the third or fourth little round of howling, he goes, mm, oh, mama. <laughs> oh, no. No, he and, didn't. And Heather and I had that moment where like, I, well, we have to kill this dog. <laughs> This dog has been possessed by a toddler. Right. I mean, this was like, I mean, there was, it was not even like a, oh my gosh, it almost sounded like he said mama. We looked at each other and said, he said mama, and is this how we want to live? <laughs> this is, this is horrific. Yeah, yeah. We aren't, we, we are, we're trying not to be every white family in every horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's cute. It's yeah. fine. It's well, totally that's certainly fine. different. Check this out. Like, you know, I come home from work. It's like, look what he says now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, so the dog said mama. Yeah. And now you have to get out, I think. Yeah, no, I think there's, yeah. <laughs> that's Well, she did the right thing. She left the house, and she's like, I'm going to go with my sister overnight. I'm like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to Yeah, she's, do? this is, you're dead. This is this is how she becomes a widow. It's a long plan, man. It's a long con. <laughs> okay. All right, so back to our uh, our other horror interests. <laughs> <laughs> Primarily, we're interested in... Steve's imminent death, but um, we're also interested in Stranger Things on this podcast. Um, so I sort of laid out the time clues. So then here we are in Upside Down Hawkins, 1983. We know that this is supposed to be 1986, right? Right. Yeah, so that is fascinating, right? So so to, to our knowledge, at least how we're piecing together some of the experiences that we've had with the Upside Down. Because the Upside Down still remains, by and large, very uh, mysterious, right? I mean, there are still people that are saying, well, hey, did does this show that Elle created the Upside Down? Or did, you know, did she open the Upside Down by casting one into it? And the thing that's interesting about it, right, is that when Elle casts one into the Upside Down, this is what, like, late 70s? Like, is it 79? Is it... It's supposed to be 79. Yeah, so, so, but when they go back to, 80, to, to 80, the 83 version of the Upside Down, like, that shows that there's something about that time that sticks, right? And that's when Will uh, entered the Upside Down. Right. That's so, right. so that's where it's, where it's really interesting to see is that the, you know, I, I think it's, to me, it suggests the upside down was already in existence. She encountered the upside down, but something happens that their access to the upside down was real time in 83, right? I mean, that, that uh-huh. encounter, that opening, that time when Will gets in there, that happened, that was a, it was, it was current. So the question then becomes for me is, is how, what is Vecna operating in? Because he's operating, he's he's leaving an upside down to encounter uh, mo- like the modern day Hawkins, which is eighty six. But he also has this other like red zone, right? Which I think we understand like might be his mind. Sure. Yes. Yeah. So there's he's got some kind of um, 
Yeah, it's it's certainly reddish. And even when L kind of casts him interdimensionally into that space, it's almost like he is falling in through like an, a reddish abyss. Right. Um, and I think that there are a few hell themes throughout this show. I hadn't really thought a lot about that, but it seems like he's got his own independent space carved out that's certainly upside down adjacent, right? Right. Well, so the question that I have is when the Scooby-Doo gang is in the upside down, the thought is that that upside down is the, is the Hawkins stuck in 83, but Vecna's a threat there. So it's not like they went to a past version of the upside down. It's just the upside down seems to be frozen in eighty three. Right. Is that what is that what I'm understanding, or is it that they went back? They they that gate that they went through brings them to an eighty three. Like, are, do the gates have different time passages? Right, that's a good question. All right, so here's one idea, and I like I said, I've not read anything on Reddit, or I've not really gotten a lot of into theory crafting. Mm-hmm. But assuming that Nancy's shoes and a lot of stuff in Nancy's room no longer exist in 1986, but they did exist in 1983, we could imagine that the portal at Hawkins' lab is still open. Interesting, right? Right? Yeah. Could could we possibly have like a... um, Back to the Future 2 situation. Where they can go and there. encounter their 83 selves. Or a sort of, you know, function in the background to sort of pull some strings to make it easier on their past selves. Uh, or accidentally mess things up for themselves. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, this is interesting. Could you go back and make it all not happen? Make it all not happen or... Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I, honestly, I, I'm not sure how I mean, to. When you start, this. when you start dealing with with time travel or at least time manipulation, I mean, it opens up, you know, all kinds of options, right? Because it's something that, to me, and this this is something where I, you know, I think we've talked about this. I, I get a little antsy when it comes to time travel. Yeah, yeah, you didn't, you didn't like that part of the brand plot in Game of Thrones. No, and it's just because I feel like. It's it's such an unsettled trope, right? Because I think every 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 time we we someone tries to do time travel, they try to correct any previous time travel, uh, you know, film or story. Because there's always like, yeah, but but about this and how does it work? How can it work? You know, if if you went in time, how did you even have the opportunity to go back in time? Because you would have. It's like the whole loop thing, and it's. And so you you have to define it in a certain way and, and kind of create rules for it. And so it, it, mm-hmm. it starts to feel a little arbitrary for me. And I get I, that's I'm not checked out. I've watched a lot of time travel things. I, I enjoy tra- time manipulation films. I mean, I did like uh, Looper. Yeah. Okay. So if they went that direction, it seems like this whole series is just based this whole this whole season is just based on a way to make season 5 and have it explain why everybody's in their 40s. <laughs> I will say this about the show. I feel like this entire show has been something of an exercise in time travel because it, it traffics so much in nostalgia. And I think that this is a really interesting way to play with 
some of the time travel elements that they were ar- they were already doing for the audience. So that and it's not like we didn't have a few really prominent time travel movies in the eighties, right? Right. Um, it's just interesting to me that it's nineteen eighty three versus nineteen eighty six. Right. Normally, with a time travel show, what you'll do is you'll go to, you know, a far distant future or a far distant past or mm-hmm. your mother's generation or right. you know something like that. Yeah, no, that is yeah. So, so that suggests to me that there is something important about the first time we encounter the upside down, and like you said, maybe maybe they will have an opportunity to go through a portal that goes to where they were at then. Um, but then it does beg the question, well, is Fecna's a threat in that 83 time frame? Um, how is he managing to, why, why is he, uh, getting people in 86, but he didn't in 83? Right. Uh, you know, so those, those are just some of the, the, uh, you know, the, but that brings up a lot of other questions like, well, why now Vecna? Right. Um, but sure. That, these are all things that we, you know, like the, it's. It feels like the you know the the urgency is there again, right? We have two episodes left, and um, Hopper's still in Russia. <laughs> you know, uh, there's there's right. an introduction of a maybe a new wrinkle, you know, with the time situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy's kind of in three places. It almost seems like, right? I mean, she's she's in the regular world. She's in in a way. She's in eighty three upside down and she's in Vecna's mind, you know, I mean, there's, there's an interesting Mm -hmm. dilemma there. Right. And okay. So this might tie in to, I've heard you mention to me that you think that Steve Harrington might be a goner. Yeah. And rewatching this episode, I really feel like, like if he's not a goner, he might, there's a potential that he, can't leave the upside down maybe and maybe that's hmm. that's our plot for the next one is to go get to go rescue harrington or harrington you know i'm gonna uh, maybe he becomes vampiric interesting they made an interesting because so, there's a robin makes a makes a point and i know it comes up a couple times for like sort of comedic value but there's a whole thing about rabies yeah and, right and and he gets clearly bitten and he's really wounded by these these upside down bats right these demi bats yeah. and it just seems like there's an opportunity there to to sort of plant the seed of like you know these things infect a lot of times we've seen the upside down do that so is are we going to see upside down vampire steve a part of me is kind of here for that that's interesting so i was thinking i was thinking if he if they kill him in some way that might be sort of the motivation to try to go back in time. Mm. Like maybe he dies at the end of this season, and then season five is like Dustin thinking, well, if we go through the Watergate and then walk out of the Hawkins lab gate, then we can go back in time and maybe save Steve. Because usually it takes some kind of extreme situation to want to go back and change time. Well, and we've really... Um... Like as as we as an audience have really grasped onto Steve. I mean, they're really this episode. They kind of pour it on pretty pretty heavy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you have Eddie 
telling him how much Dustin just worships the guy, right? He worship Dustin worships him, and and Nancy's in true love with him. And I just turn heel and run, or at least that's what I've learned about myself this week. Give yourself a break, man. See, the only reason I came in here was because those ladies came in straight after you. Now I was too ashamed to be the one who stayed behind. But Wheeler, right there, she didn't waste a second. Not one second. She just dove right in. Now, I don't know what happened between you two. If I were you, I would get her back. Because that was as unambiguous a sign of true love as these cynical eyes have ever seen. Robin, you know, jumps in after him too. So yeah, right. He's beloved. Yeah, and even even Eddie is like starting to be smitten by him right he sees him as a real hero <laughs> sure yeah sure and yeah. and so so i mean he's just this he's he's the he's the babysitter right i mean this is your adventures uh-huh. in babysitting you know uh take to some degree um you know he's got he's using the oar and i mean she was tough elizabeth she was tough in adventures in babysitting so here's what we've got right mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so it's uh, and their hair is similar i mean at least in terms of volume um well the other thing is that We've mentioned that Harrington has undergone the most character transformation right. between season one and season four, or at least the beginning of season one and where he is right now, right? Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, they, they, he, he started as sort of classic 80s movie bully, and now he's basically the head of the Scooby-Doo gang. Well, yeah, and put it in perspective, like right now, if I was to tell you that Angela in three seasons would be your favorite character. Right, be like, exactly. Get out, right? I yeah, mean, that's sure. that, just a real testament, testament to what they were able to do with, with Harrington's character. Exactly. So it would be interesting to me to see Steve have to contend with immature Steve. Mm. Uh, because, you know, that that's the character that if we go back and look at him in 1983, now we're wondering, is this guy worth saving? Because he's kind of a well, yeah, yeah, right? I mean, even if, yeah, that would be a, a fascinating thing to for us to, yeah, to get the reminder, you know. <laughs> How bad in, he actually was. Yeah, you walk in on him, you know, uh, bullying or whatever that might be, and then it's like, oh, yeah, maybe... <laughs> I don't want that. Yeah, guy. and exactly. if I do something, if I do something to protect him now, will he ever become the one that we really like? Sure, sure, sure. All right. Well, I I think it's fascinating. I'm in for it. I love time travel stuff. I I don't I don't usually get hung up on all of the time paradox stuff. I just enjoy the ride. Um, I'm I'm all about it. Bring me to, bring me back to 1983. Which is interesting because going through the Game of Thrones thing, like you're very meticulous about the uh, like the magic and the how everything works together. Even when it comes to, to just not even time travel, I'm talking like travel, <laughs> getting from one place to another. Yeah, and if it's you feel, weird. And if you feel like it goes too fast, I think with a fantasy narrative, I get very persnickety. Hmm. But with Sci-fi, I'm like, yeah, bring on the space magic, man. I, I just, all right. I'll eat up all the space magic. I love Interesting. it. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Um, let me go ahead, and uh, I've got eight storylines. It's a long episode. Yeah, I think I've watched it three times. Did you like it better? 
This, I watched it the, two times. I definitely liked it better the second time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and we can get into it as we go through the the dice roll. But like the initial time that you have the that that much exposition, it it feels more like there's a bit more of a slog the first time around. But I I, I, I felt like I had. I probably watched the last three episodes just in in one sit. Mm-hmm. That's a long time to sit. Yeah, yeah. And that's on, and if you're catching that one on the on the tail end, you could. Yeah, you may have fatigue setting, and you don't even realize. Yeah, sure. There you go. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, I'm gonna roll this thing. We are starting off with a two. This is Scooby Doo Gang Part Two, Steve. Steve can hear Dustin's voice from the other side. Eddie knows SOS and Morse, so they use some upside down bulb magic to get Erica's attention. Lucas, Dustin, and Erica steal a light bright and use it to communicate. Dustin has a theory about a link between the murders and the gates and tells the gang to go to Eddie's place. They all bike over to Eddie's and Dustin opens the ceiling gate. While climbing through, Nancy falls into a Vecna vision involving Barb's death. Nancy also sees a bit of Vecna's backstory. This is an episode where we get, or this is the storyline where we get another Pulp Fiction homage. Did you note it? Uh, maybe I did not. Which was that? Okay. All right. Now keep in mind, Maya Hawk is the actress that plays Robin, right? Mm-hmm. Her mother's Uma Thurman. Mm. So during the OD scene where Uma Thurman needs uh, an adrenaline shot to the heart, uh, Rosanna Arquette's character says, that's trippy. Uh and it is exactly placed on the lips of Uma Thurman's daughter in this episode when she sees the gate and sort of the mirror gravity. Right. Wow. She says, okay. she says trippy. And I noticed like, it's not, it wouldn't be something that would sort of be a smoking gun literary illusion, but because it, they've already done it. Cause two, we've seen a couple. So now I, I want to yeah. go back to like now the previous, cause we've, we've caught that three in a row. Now I'm like, well, yeah, wait, yeah. were there other ones that I missed? Yeah, so because there were a couple other Tarantino direct references, this one, I think this one has to be a... And and to give it to that particular actress, I thought that was delightful. Yeah. All right, so in addition to Steve getting bit, which we already talked about, he inhales uh, an upside-down particle. I don't know mm-hmm. if you caught that. When he was walking mm-hmm. into the mobile home, he says, I sucked one of those things in. Yeah, yeah. Stuck in my throat. And I wonder if it's not quite a cough, but when you see a cough in a movie or a show, especially this kind of show, you almost think, well, that character's dead. Right. So then a little, another little bit of evidence for sure, I think. Um, I, I was not an early adopter to the Steve Harrington dies, but... 
after this episode, I was thinking, yeah, it could be. It very well could be. Is there, so I, I think, I think there's going to be deaths, death or deaths, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that this, it has that feeling. I feel like it's going to become one of those, uh, it's, it's, and it'll probably be a pretty rough one, right? I mean, at this point. Well, in this, I feel like right here, right in the storyline, the most immediate, the person who's in the most immediate danger is Nancy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because she's fallen into a Vecna vision. It is her first vision. Like we didn't, we didn't see her experience a clock or anything or previous, right? But she's a party to a direct Vecna monologue, and that normally happens right before Vecna kills a victim. Do you remember what you did, Nancy? Or have you already forgotten? When I kill someone, I never forget. And I wonder... So they, they they kind of know how to get people out of that by playing them their favorite song, right? Right. So then the question is, right, they're in Eddie's house. Eddie has a, a has a specific kind of music collection I'm imagining, right? Right. Um he I think he even mentions Ozzy Osbourne in this particular episode. About the bats, yeah. I don't think Nancy is an Ozzy no. Uh, aficionado, right? So then the question is, does Eddie have any music at all that will appeal to Nancy? Yeah, what do we know about Nancy's musical taste? I was going to ask you, like, if you were going to guess, what is Nancy's favorite song in 1986? What would you guess? Gosh, 86, huh? We do get music with her and I think Steve, and I think we get music with her and, and um, Jonathan. I think in uh, yeah in, in previous seasons, and I'm trying to remember what they were, and that would be an interesting thing to look back on, right? To go, do we have a, a Steve song and do we have a Jonathan song? And would would here's one the thing be about di- that? I think that in the, that those early seasons, Nancy's trying to fit in with Steve's crowd. Mm-hmm. So when she goes to the party at Steve's house, it's Steve's music. She mm. doesn't get to choose the music. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, be like something like a, I was thinking like a Bangles or mm. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think? I, I would see something more, a little bit maybe more mainstream. Yeah, I could radio see. play. Yeah, I could see that being a little bit. Yeah, because she strikes me as someone who's not listening to a lot of like she's not listening to Kate Bush like like Max is. Probably not listening to Ozzy like Eddie, like you mentioned. Um, are the Go Go's a thing still? Maybe. Who was? Uh, we should look at top of the charts. Eighty six. Uh, Walk this way. Uh, you had the Run DMC Aerosmith crossover. All right. Don't think so. Venus Banana Rama. How about Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy? <laughs> <laughs> I would absolutely go bananas if 
if Nancy has to be brought back to reality by Eddie Murphy's party all the time. <laughs> Are you kidding me? If they if they could if if well, the Duffer brothers she get back from Ve- the Vecna vision, she's going to immediately start partying. That that's what you do with Eddie. So Murphy's that's her party curse. Right that's Vecna's curse for Nancy is that she parties all the time. <laughs> Stuck I mean, with you by I'm Huey Lewis in the news. I'm telling you, they have an opportunity. The Duffer Brothers have a, an opportunity to do for Eddie Murphy's party all the time what they just did for Kate Bush. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, Higher Love you, by Steve Winwood. Come on. That's pretty good. Say You Say Me, Lionel Richie. That's good. Take My Breath Away, Rock My Amadeus. On My Own, Patti LaBelle and Michael McDonald. Oof, that's a good one. Uh, Manic Monday. That Manic Monday is pretty good. That's a pretty good. Now, or could it be that they will subvert Nancy and it'll be like, cause, because we don't know what she likes. Right. And she is sort of about exploding expectations. Like, you know, Eddie says, you're telling me that Nancy Wheeler has guns, plural, in her room. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. maybe, maybe, she is, maybe she does enjoy something a little bit more Eddie-ish. Oh, I see. So yeah, so so he he has the opportunity to play her some sweet licks. Uh, it could be Sledgehammer. It could absolutely be oh, Sledgehammer. I feel like well, here's the problem. Like it'd be really easy to get me out of the the uh, out of Vecna's uh, curse because <laughs> every song you just mentioned is probably going to get me out of there. Because I mean, if Higher Love by Steve Winwood isn't doing it, then Sledgehammer certainly will. And then if okay, if, if th- let's change this to the Steve Osborne. I'm going to give you a few options, and you tell me what's going to get you out. Okay. Okay. All right. So we have Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. Um, probably not moving me. I mean, it I, it will it'll definitely delay Vecna's ability to 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 break my ankle. <laughs> okay. But I might not. I might not get me back. You give love a bad name, Bon Jovi. Mm, yeah, I think I probably I probably get snapped. Rock Me Amadeus by Falco. That's a that's a definite option for sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and I, and again, it's this the idea of of defeating Vecna while in the background. Ooh, Rock Me Amadeus. Kiss uh, Prince and the Revolution. I think I I think I'd just be too horned up to leave. <laughs> Um, we have the uh, the glory of love by Peter Cetera. Oh yeah, so now we're now we're, we're venturing into Karate Kid two territory. Now, if it was anything from Karate Kid one, you got a better shot. Um, and then we could go party all the time. So I think it's probably party all the time. I would think so. I would, yeah. I, I if if we're going in eighty six. Party all the time is probably your absolute best bet. If you can't, for some reason, get a, a hold of that, Sledgehammer certainly is available, and Rock Me Amadeus. I think those are probably your top top three. If I'm looking at these 1986 uh, mm-hmm. uh, jams, Sweetest Taboos, uh, you know, don't sleep on that one. Shade is, is can, could 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 move the needle. Now we didn't even mention the one that is at the top of the charts here. That's what friends are for. <laughs> This is the Dion Warwick, Gladys Knight, Elton John, and Stevie Wonder joint. Right. Yeah, you, you go ahead and kill me. <laughs> All right. I, uh, this, this, that's a really bad song. Have you? When's the last time you listened to That's What Friends Are For by 
by that that foursome. Uh, I haven't listened to it in a while, but I, I immediately will go out and listen to it. It is. It's pretty sappy, man. It's <laughs> just just four people that I don't even think are really friends talking about how important friendships are. <laughs> I'll tell you one song that wouldn't do anything for me at all. It's When the Going Gets Tough, The, <laughs> the Tough Get Going by Billy Ocean. Yeah, which was That the... was maybe my least favorite song. Of 1986. That's the main song from Jewel of the Nile, by the way. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah, which, you know, it's kind of tough to come up with a great song to a sequel to a movie that had arguably the greatest, uh, you know, song, soundtrack that had the title of the movie, and that's Romance in the Stone by Eddie Grant. All right, I'm going to tell you what would save me from a Vecna vision from 1986. That would be Your Love by The Outfield. Ooh, yeah, that's solid. Super solid. That's, that's, a, that's good, a great song. That's a great song. There's a pretty good chance of getting me out on that one, too. That one's it's a hot jam. I listened to that just, uh, just I think, two days ago, as a matter of fact. Is that right? Oh, yeah. All right, so uh, what do you think happens to Nancy? Do you think she, you think she gets out? Do you think that they're able to sort of music her out of the vision? Yeah, I think Nancy gets out. And I was, the question is, is Nancy in mortal danger in this situation? This is a this is a different type of Vecna interaction than we've seen, right? He doesn't uh, like the, the interaction he has. He's with, monologuing. I mean, that's know, he, the point, right? He's mon. I mean, and that's different, right? So that that to me suggests that Nancy poses a different type of threat potentially. Like, is she a threat as opposed mm. to a victim? Interesting. Because he doesn't, I mean, Max seems to almost interrupt the Vecna situation. The Everybody else is just tormented by him until it's too late. But hers is definitely different than the rest in that she wasn't, do we, do we have any indication in this season that she's really feeling guilty over Barb's death? Well, and also it doesn't follow the patterns. Doesn't right. follow the patterns, right? And and the patterns seem to be pretty important. We talk about time. We talk about all these different things. And and um, you know, he there's a there's a there's a pattern. There's a you know, the, you get a vision. There's the clock. There's days. I mean, she, we talk about time. I mean, Max is able to work with them to work. Like I know that tomorrow's my day based on mm-hmm. these patterns, mm-hmm. and so. So this one, I mean, he, she had seen no vision of clocks to our knowledge. All of a sudden, she's just right, in, and, and she's not just in, but like, and, and maybe that's by virtue of being in the upside down, right? Like, so this is the first person that we've seen him go after in the upside down that we know of, um, right? So that, so that her and her presence, she's singled out. I mean, she does they right, don't do and it I wonder Steve. if these other kids were targeted because of their traumatic experience, and maybe Nancy's just being targeted for a different reason. Maybe she's being targeted because she is a threat. She's she's at a gate. He's been watching them. She seems to be the leader of this gang. Yeah, and you bring up an interesting question. Like we don't necessarily. I mean, obviously she's upset by the the Barb uh, situation, but we don't necessarily have any indication that she ever really blamed herself and was carrying that weight or that burden. Mm-hmm. Whereas it almost looks like Vecna is trying to create that burden for right. Her. Yeah, he's trying to remind her yeah. of her complicity in this. So that's interesting to me. Um, I think she probably gets out. 
I I think that they'll probably do something with Eddie's music collection. They are at Eddie's house. He's absolutely the kind of guy who's going to have headphones nearby and a few cassette tapes. They'll probably I just I just think it's low hanging fruit. They're gonna they're gonna play with some kind of social divide between Nancy's musical interests and Eddie's musical interests. Um, maybe Eddie subverts our expectations. Maybe Eddie's got some Cindy Lauper, right, in the mix, right? Well, the, yeah, I mean, Eddie's an interesting. We we don't like what do we know of his backstory? Really, we don't know a bunch. We know that he's corroded coffin is a band that's been around for a while. He had a buzz cut at one point. Right. <laughs> yeah, we don't know a whole lot about Eddie's situation. We know that he's in a band called Corroded Coffin. I think that that kind of tells us a little bit about his music taste. Right. Right. All right. Let me roll this thing. Yeah, but number five. Number five is the Soteria plot. Dream state Dr. Brenner collars the bully named Two and tortures him in front of the rest of the Padawans. Later on, the creepy blonde guy tells Eleven that Papa lies. He also tells her that she needs to escape because everyone wants to murder her. He gives her a card key. A little bit later, Elle escapes and meets the creep in the basement. Eleven learns that the creep has a chip in his neck that suppresses him. Eleven removes the chip just before the goons arrive. Then the creep kills the goons, reveals that he's number one, and goes on a murderous rampage throughout the lab. Eleven finds the creep, gets him to monologue, and narrowly escapes becoming a Vecna victim, thus creating a gate. Number one becomes Vecna. Any thoughts on this reveal? Does this do anything for you? We, you know, we've talked before about, you know, aptly connecting Vecna to the Upside Down. Does this solve that problem for you? Um, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it solves it enough right because i mean that thing is is this this is not the end obviously right so this is in some ways it's a bit of a beginning um we we now you know we've resolved the initial what was the first eight minutes of the season right going yeah to play out, which was important right sure so yeah it of- ended up being sort of a uh an evil mutant character opposite l rather than l herself right? right so then that feels so so then that feels settled so we can you know so you put that to bed right you put the potential inconsistencies um of, of her origin story aside but now it's you know we, as we talked about in our kind of our reaction piece uh, this does have a little bit of a midichlorian uh element to it um yeah and i'm not dissatisfied i'm not sure it's my favorite but I'm w- but I'm willing to go along with it. Yeah, sure. All right. Now I don't know how all this works out. You know, clearly L is creating a gate in 1979, but that's connecting me to some of the time stuff that they're introducing. And now I'm more interested in the time stuff than I am with the Vecna origin story. Yeah, and it's interesting how they do that too, right? Like they get you. Like, because just when you when you get to a point, you're like, well, I don't know if I want this. They're like, yeah, but now I've got you with this. <laughs> you're like, all right, mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. I'm hooked. You get, I mean, it's and it is, it, it if you were to map this out, you'd be like, how are they pulling this off? 
And I think we've talked about this almost every season. There's that, how do they pull this? How am I so mm-hmm. interested in this subplot? And how am I so mm-hmm. interested in, in the relationship aspect? Right. That- in season one, we were talking about, I'm more, I'm more concerned with the fact that Elle, or Elle and Mike are on the rocks. Right. Than I am with finding Will at this point. Right? Exactly. Isn't that wild? Yeah, and that's and that's funny too because like, I, and for a guy that's that's sort of lukewarm on on time travel or at least uh, skeptical in how it gets pulled off, the very fact that I'm like I'm like, well, what does all this mean? Um, mm-hmm. Without feeling exhausted by yet another twist or something else to have to follow, um, and that has everything to do with trust, right? I mean, when you when right, you, but. What have we seen as as series comes to a conclusion is is sometimes that trust runs out, right? Um, and so uh, I just I'm like, if you were if you were gonna gauge my you know skepticism meter on a show that's really done me no wrong up until this point, I would say that it's definitely higher as we get to yeah as we get to the the final season. Expect some time travel because then I'm like okay. Now you're asking mm-hmm. a lot, a lot more of me. Then that's just me personally. But like someone like yourself, yeah. you, like you said, you're kind of all in on that. Like let's get let's get weird. And you know, to to some degree, when you you mentioned how much time travel movies there were in the '80s, and of course, Back to the Future being sort of the the headliner of all of those, they would have to have time travel. It would almost feel like you like you would have missed a, a lot of the decade if you didn't okay, know time me, travel. Let me tell you how goofy I am. So. During the Hopper stuff, I'm thinking, come on, this is this is too easy. Hopper's breaking out of prison. Joyce is helping Hopper break out of this Kamchaka Russian prison. This is this is all very implausible. The time travel stuff just sounds like, yeah, sure, fine, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's get let's get on with it. I'm totally in. <laughs> right, right. I and mean, how many times have we had these conversations? And not just this podcast, but other ones. We're like, the things we'll forgive, right? Like uh-huh. we'll be sitting there nitpicking something in a werewolf movie that just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Like, well, why? But but I mean, like, how? Why is the scoreboard take so long to tick down? You know, in in Teen Wolf or something. <laughs> right. I'm perfectly fine with the wolf. Right. Would you please get the score right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, no, this is totally one of those things. I feel like with this plot, there's a lot of, and, and I, I guess I felt like throughout the whole Nina Project element, it's very sort of Padawans learning to be, be Jedi's, and in this scene, it feels a little bit like one is trying to turn Eleven to the dark side. Sure, and of course she refuses. And um, and they they duel they duel th- with their minds, which is very force related, right? Right. There's yeah. There's the join me aspect for sure, right? I mean, it's not just and then, but at the same time, it's also like, but if you don't, that's okay too. I, I trust my my powers, and I didn't maybe give you all the information that you need to to really defeat me. Okay, so I want to talk about the Soteria thing, and. Like I said, I'm not doing a lot of internet research on this, but I just know that soteria is from a Greek root uh, for the word for salvation. And there is a moment in this storyline where one says to El, I didn't trick you, I saved you. So the fact that soteria means salvation... And he tells her that I saved you. 
makes me think, okay, this is this is a conscious effort to play with the notion of salvation and specifically to play with it with religious imagery. So I guess the question is is this oh. a situation? Yeah, yeah. What, what what's going on here? What is this a situation where eventually they're going to have to subdue Vecna? Like maybe they have to figure out how to subdue Vecna by using a chip like this, or, um, or is this just sort of ironic that here this devil character, this demonic character, is using the this particular kind of language? Well, I mean, if you go to the uh, Genesis origins, I mean, you obviously will know better than I. I mean, the devil doesn't present that the, the, the devil presents a certain amount of freedom as an option, right? I mean, it's the temptation is look, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the truth of where you're at, like the the Garden of Eden, you know, to to Adam and Eve, uh, you know, is paradise in so much as they are told it's paradise and they are play within the confines of paradise. And the devil says, look, there's a lot more to it than this. And you're basically, he's saying your, your Dr. Brenner in the sky has been lying to you. Mm, mm, Papa. Yeah. 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 So there's a, that's, that's pretty clear. You know, I mean, if you look at that, I mean, he's saying your Papa has been lying to you. I can show you what, what the world really is. You're, you're just, you're basically an experiment. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I like this because in this particular case, yeah, we almost have a, a God versus Satan duality. Right. Uh, and what's interesting about this is that you've got the satanic figure is the most powerful. Right. But the but the the father figure, the God figure is more knowing to some degree. Right. Like he's sure trying to manage the situation. Right, and he's sort of trying to hold back the the I don't know the power of the other person, but then in addition to that, and I think we already kind of called this out, but when L sends one through this gate she's created into the upside down, he does go through this hellish abyss kind of thing, and it's sort of very uh, you know misty red. It, it kind of Vecna's little corner of the upside down has a very hell feeling to it and like the upside down like the idea that hell already existed he's not necessarily the captain of hell he's just learning to navigate it okay i got a little theory gonna come up with a little theory here okay hopper is going to have some kind of encounter some kind of little blow dart that will shoot something into the demogorgon that will sort of sedate it or limit its powers akin to the kind of thing that Brenner used to subdue one. Mm. And he brings it back. He's going to bring it back. And that's how they're going to eventually subdue Vecna to use a Soteria kind of gun or something. Well, and because I mean, everything, you know, there's so much intentionality, obviously, in all these things. And the very fact that we saw a chip, right. And it was just, you know, that that exists and like again that's kind of what i went back to with the robocop fail safe with with l and i don't know that mm. she has a chip but i you know it wouldn't put it past brenner to have something in there that keeps him always protected because he's learned right you know i don't necessarily need to put a harness on her powers but i need to at least put a harness on who and when she can use them um 
So there's that possibility, right? And so the idea that we know that these powers, and that's where it becomes an interesting uh, situation to 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 manage the supernatural, is that well, we know that he, that that uh, Vecna one has his has these powers. He doesn't really know where they came from. So that's the other part. We don't know where those came from. There's mm-hmm. an origin story to be told there potentially, um, but he has them and he's very powerful. But Brenner knows enough from the from this world, this natural world, scientific realm, to to be able to block it neurologically. Now the question is, can you do that in the Vecna form that exists in the Upside Down? Hmm. I would suggest probably yes, just because I mean he was transformed, but it was a, it looked like it was more of a physical transformation as opposed to like I don't get the sense that he's some something. I mean he is clearly something else that can travel psychically, but he always kind right. of was right. I mean that's that's the right. whole that even here on this earth he was like that so i and the fact that he bears the uh tattoo still for some reason suggests that physically he hasn't been changed completely so you right could. we don't know yeah it's hard to know his limitations we do know the one thing that we do know and maybe this is sort of a checkoff's gun situation is that we know that he can be psychically subdued mhm um on top of that in this episode, we have Hopper saying, I thought my purpose here at this jail was to be punished, but maybe I have a different purpose. Maybe my purpose is to help Elle in some way. And immediately Jack and Hagar says, that sounds like religious talk, right? Mm. And soteriology is a religious word in a season where we're playing with religious themes, so I think I don't know. There's some connection here. There's got to be some yeah. connection here that w- maybe Hopper does save the day, um, in some way. But like I said, maybe this is Chekhov's microchip. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I think yeah. I mean, obviously that's what we've been waiting for with the whole Hopper thing is because it's been a bit of a slow burn because it does sort of. Not that we don't care about Hopper, but they're definitely testing the limits, right? And then as we get closer to the to the end here, we definitely like, oh, okay, no, I'm now I'm kind of into this. Like we're we're connecting. There's something to this. Yeah. The other thing about this plot that I thought I'd call out is that somehow, some way, Eleven remembers her own birth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of how she is able to psychically overcome and and regain all of her powers is she remembers being born and her mother calls her Jane. And so not only does she remember fully what happens in the Hawkins massacre, um, she remembers everything. Like right. I, I get the sense that she's now sort of has, has, a, has a super memory in addition to everything else. Yeah. That is that a byproduct of, Brenner's work with her, or is that how yeah. she came into the scene that way? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, clear because that part's it, a little little fuzzier now too, right? Yeah, I why mean, introduce that unless you want to do it, do something with that later, or maybe that's just sort of her. That's just showing that she's completely in control, in command of her own memories in a way that she wasn't before, right? And maybe that is the way to conquer trauma, right? That trauma is reliving that memory and having that memory distorted over and over and over again. Mm, mm-hmm. Now she's in control. She's not the tra- She's not traumatized by it. Right. Um, interesting. 
interesting stuff. Uh, we already had a five, or did we? Yeah, we just did a five. You have a six. All right, this is Dustin, Lucas, Erica, and Max. The kids lie to the cops and the parents about why they were at the lake. Powell tells everyone to shut up, and they decide to question Max alone. Erica squeezes the boys for information. This leads to Dustin's theory that there is a gate at every Vecna victim site. The kids are contacted by the Scooby-Doo gang and figure out how to communicate through a light bright. They escape, and the adults head to. They escape the adults and head to Eddie's house. Dustin creates a gravity mirror with Eddie's sheets. Steve, would you climb Eddie's sheets under any condition? Boy, I. I don't know. We've already... I might just stay in the upside down. I'm not, I'm not touching those sheets. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll take my chances with demi bats and rabies. <laughs> I laughed really hard uh, at Erica this episode, especially when she was sucking down that juice box. Oh, man. Yeah. I like that she was sucking down the juice box as she was squeezing them for information. Right. That's so good. Um, <laughs> well, and the other thing about Eddie's sheets is like we looked at it and go, wow, how, what a cool effect. Well, from what I understand about Eddie, those sheets were already standing up. <laughs> uh, that's when we get the, the trippy reference. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, trippy for sure. Trippy. Uh, what did Erica find under Lucas's bed? Do you think? Oh man, so that's gonna be that's gonna be haunting, right? <laughs> they gotta pay that off, right? Unless it's that's... something that even Dustin can't know about. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's the Pulp Fiction briefcase, man. We never really know what's under it. <laughs> sure, yeah, it's Marcellus Wallace's soul in there. <laughs> it's under Lucas's bed. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know. I mean, you know, like. I don't know if you were one of these kids, but um, there were kids who would like would just like openly like show you their porno mags, and then mm. there were kids that like it was a big secret. Like, like I don't want anyone to know that I have this part of my personality. Do you think that Lucas is one of those guys? Maybe it's something pretty tame under his mattress. Or yeah, the question is: is it is it in the the pornographic realm, or is it something like just terribly embarrassing for? you know, uh, a budding jock to have, right? Maybe so. Maybe that's it. Cause when she says it's, it's on a scale of one to 10, how gross is it? And she says a hundred mm. immediately. I thought, Oh, this is, this is a mag. Right. Right. But I don't know. I'm not sure what it is. So here's the, this is an interesting thing to talk about too, for this is that like, I have a, I mean, and I'm sure we both are in the same spot. Like there's, there's, there's equal parts anticipation and curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Resolution matters less to me than what do you got next, right? Like I, I, I don't mind. I don't. I, I, I fully expect some sort of a cliffhanger. I think. I think because we, unlike some of the previous seasons, we know that the next one coming up is the final. I kind of. I don't know if it's a cliffhanger per se, but it definitely is going to 
not wrap up like this could be the end of the series and we know that right so right. so i think we're i think we're going to be set up for like a, how long do we have to wait so I'm, I'm i'm very curious to see what that moment is um i'm curious to see how some of these things pay off i'm anticipating but i'm also this is the most nervous <laughs> i've been because i'm like i feel like everybody's fair game I feel like we're we're getting we're getting our Game of Thrones moment, and uh, and and it's and because we haven't had a series of Game of Thrones moments, this is going to be this could be a big one. Mm-hmm. I'm backing off on my Jonathan will die prediction. Oh yeah, I just don't feel like they've made me um, connected with him. As in seasons past, he he mm. feels like a really, almost sort of C plot character, right? Which and maybe they, maybe they're softening the blow. I don't know what they're I don't know what they're thinking, but I I think for mo, for sort of the maximum emotional impact, like you're talking about, mm-hmm. they probably will kill off someone that I'm most emotionally connected, and I, and we already mentioned that we think that. Uh, Max has armor at this point, right? Um, it would and... be that would be, but yeah, if she, but that would be a complete out of nowhere, right? Because I think everyone is kind of has. Uh, oh, we've a, all moved on. We've yeah. all breathed a, a little bit of a sigh of relief. Sure. So the idea that Max could not be out of the because because there have been little hints to that too, right? I mean, she keeps listening yeah. to the music. She's talked about like I'm concerned that if I if I keep listening to this song, it won't be my favorite song anymore. And then what, right? Like there is that, like there's just this little bit of tension. Like the, they haven't let it go completely, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I I'm just just now starting to think like, well, I don't know, man. Maybe and and you know, so the things I I so I, I would put like my top my top three if you were looking at for like emotional gravity at this point. Um, and maybe the top three that I I don't want to see, but I could certainly it would certainly move this. It would be, have a dramatic effect. I I put Harrington one, Max two, Lucas three. Oh my gosh! No, they're not gonna. I, wow, Lucas! And then they find out what's under his bed. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> they're like, ew. Well. Okay. And then I guess we don't have to deal with him anymore. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> I feel like Dustin's indestructible. Because nobody knows as much as he does. Interesting. Interesting. Well, they've almost already replaced Lucas, right? Erica sort of has stepped into her role or his role in the Hellfire Club. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Did you, did you ever have a light bright? Oh yeah. I How always wanted a light bright. You never had a light bright? Never had one. And too, uh, too much like a Ouija board for your parents liking. I just never had good toys. I mean, I had like <laughs> blocks. <laughs> Man, blocks. I had, a, are just... I had a link I had sort of like a Lincoln log set that was missing tons of pieces and trying to Make it work with my half of a Lego set. It was not a good toy situation at the Ladon house. <laughs> Lincoln Logs, you can. Um, <laughs> there's not a lot you can do with a Lincoln Log. 
yeah, but you, you can build a, you a can perimeter make... around your Lego moon base if you need to. Gotcha. Yeah, this is amazing. I, I, so you're, so you're just saying the Ladon household was not like a destination spot. No, it was certainly not that. And you know, we had sort of like parts of toys. It was a good place to find like half a puzzle if you were interested in that kind of thing. Uh, you know, the, all of the game boards were sort of mixed together. It, it was, it was chaos. It was absolute chaos. Uh, so light brights were not that was not, weren't quite sophisticated enough for the light bright, mm. and I think I remember there being a situation where there was a recall because a light bright caught on fire or something. Yeah, you remember those, this? Was, uh, those bulbs got pretty hot. I remember that. Okay, yeah. So you you did experience a little bit of uh, upside down danger. Yeah, and I, so the Lightbrite would come. You could get templates for the Lightbrite that you would just like. I, I remember. I, I think I had like a hand-me-down Lightbrite, okay. uh, and I never really knew what the they had these little pieces that sort of screwed on the side. And what that's supposed to do is you're supposed to put like a template in there, and sure. then so it's like a pattern. And then you would create the thing, and then it would light up. Like so, you could make Snoopy, and it would help you draw Snoopy with the little pegs. Yeah. So I on this had, episode it was a rabbit or something. Right, I had like. Just like a kind of a the light bright, and then this like a Tupperware of just full of just colored pieces, right? Interesting. And so it was just like a lot of time it would just be sitting there, maybe trying to draw something or make something, or or just making colors, and you know, it. We were we were sad children. <laughs> I mean, now, just could you imagine like trying to trying to explain the light bright to our kids as if that was like, oh yeah, we would do that for like. You know, hours if they'd let us, and they were like, "Oh, oh, that's sad." Were you in Russia? You know, I told my. This is how sad it got for me. It would be like, I could just waste hours with the balloon. <laughs> yeah, don't let it touch just, the floor. Just, just keep that balloon off of the surfaces. You know, just see how many bounces you could get. Endless fun with a balloon. You know, with all the time we didn't waste on. Uh, on phones it's not like we were reading like medical oh, journals yeah. right i mean this whole con this whole notion that like oh well you ever head buried in the phone it's like yeah i had my head buried in light bright <laughs> <laughs> how, how am i better how am i better for that so uh the light bright that they were using had that little bunny on it right mm-hmm. uh, you think that was a little alice in wonderland homage since they were sort of looking through the the, the looking glass, yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I can feel that. All right, okay. I mean, and he does kill Vecna. Does kill a bunny when he's a kid, right? Oh, I miss. Yeah, I forgot about that one. I that was the one thing in this episode that I was a little bit like, that's clearly a CGI bunny, right? Uh, not not impressed. Not <laughs> that impressed. I'm gonna roll it. Right. Seven. Seven is parents slash cops. The cops interrogate the kids who were at the lake. Everyone can see that they're lying. Ted suggests that the kids spend some time in the clink. Lucas's parents are not thrilled with this idea. The group starts shouting until Powell yells, shut up, and decides to question Max in isolation. Later on, they realize the kids have escaped and Erica has slashed the tires of the cop car. Uh, so Ted suggests that the kids get locked up to teach him a lesson, right? 
That seems pretty consistent with Ted. That seems very consistent with Ted. Lucas's parents are not thrilled with this idea. I'm sensing a little bit of a racial divide on just sort of policing in general. What do ah, you think? That that works, right? I mean, like uh, the white dad's like, yeah, yeah, take these kids, teach them a lesson, and the, the black parents are like, oh hell yeah, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this, you, Prison's not a place where you just go. You're and, not gonna. <laughs> And get get your mind right for a night. <laughs> we, we're not going to send our son. We're going to give our son a criminal record because we just trust the police, right? Right. <laughs> I like that Callahan uh, says that Max is just really mean, and he the way he delivers it, <laughs> it's so good. Honestly, shouldn't have gone with her first. She's like. Kind of mean. It's 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 like he, she really hurt his feelings. I don't think I've ever been appreciating that Cal, how funny Callahan is. I think he's some really decent uh, comic relief. Yeah, he's definitely uh, your Judge Reinhold in Beverly Hills Cop kind <laughs> sure. of vibes, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. Like he's tough, but he's also like kind of corny. All right, I don't have any more on this plot. Do you have anything more on this? I I feel like I and maybe this is just wishful thing, but I kind of feel like we might get. A little more parents' involvement, but like yeah. maybe maybe in a good they way. They walked out really determined to do something about these kids. Finally, yeah, yeah. yeah but there's also there seems to be an element of like, uh, you know, like <laughs> that there there might be there might be something from from uh, Mrs. Wheeler that she might she might have something here to, to that on her kids' behalf. Okay, I, I'm with I'm with you on that. I'd love to see Karen more involved. Um, I do think that if the entire town is gathering pitchforks to get the Hellfire Gang, they are absolutely going to need some adult assistance at some point, right? Right, right. That could take the shape of Hopper coming back. It could take the shape of parents finally parenting in this show. <laughs> Right, but I tell you, man, that's that was our life. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I remember, I remember living in neighborhoods where, like, you would hear like a bell or like a horn would blow somewhere, and that was like a way to say, tell your kids, it's like, all right, you got to come home. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna roll this thing. Uh, we have ourselves an eight. This is the Kamchaka plot. Hopper and Jack and Hagar talk over Hopper's sense of purpose and commiserate over raising teenagers. Murray and Joyce fool the Russians and break into the prison. Murray and Joyce get to watch as the warden releases the Kraken upon Hopper and company. Murray pulls a gun and Hopper uses fire to fend off the Demogorgon. Joyce presses a lot of buttons until she gets Hopper's Bloodsport Arena to open up. Then Joyce and Hopper share a huggy reunion. This, I was really happy with this because Hopper name checks my central concern with the Russia plot. Mm. And that is the actual purpose, right? So there's an actual purpose to the storyline. He thinks, he thought his purpose before was to be punished. And now he feels like his purpose is to get back and do something to save Eleven. Uh, which is exactly what I wanted from this plot. Right. And I and it's it then it all sort of ties it ties a bow on it, right? Like almost like like 
all the experiences that we were having with the plot and maybe some of the issues we were having, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I'm giving, you know, the showrunners too much credit, but because it has that moment where he verbalizes kind of what we felt. Yeah. And then says, ah, nope, it's not that. And then it's like, okay, cool. Cause it does just feel like I'm just watching Hopper get beat up. I'm just watching him get punished. And that's not, it's not what I need. I'd rather him. I'd rather because there was a point that we're like, eh, I'd rather you just killed him in the last season. Okay, I when I was watching them put the sort of the ab wrap around Steve's torso, I was thinking, where have I seen this before? I couldn't figure out where I where I saw this, and I was thinking, I know that I've seen this in a movie. You know, some guy without a shirt on, who's got something wrapped around his midriff in that way. And then in this plot, I was thinking, okay, you got karate, you kind of have a blood sport arena. I thought, oh, it's blood sport. Mm. Maybe they're playing with blood sport a little bit because if you look at a Van Damme in that movie, he's got that white sash around his stomach. Oh, interesting. And uh, I thought, you know, that's maybe, I don't know if this is direct, a direct homage, but you also have Murray doing karate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the, 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 the control room or whatever. Uh, and then you have the actual arena, the uh, actual arena experience with the Demogorgon and all of the different weapons. And doesn't, uh, doesn't, um, Daniel LaRusso get his, uh, his torso wrapped in during the, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe during the all Valley tournament. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that would sort of, uh, be a nice overlap for sure. With the California theme, plot. right, right. No, um, no California kids in this episode. Oh, yeah, interesting. No, no. So they deleted L eleven entirely from one of the episodes, and they deleted all of the Argyle, Mike, Jonathan stuff, uh, Will stuff from this episode. It is interesting. Yeah, they do that now where, because you have so many different plot lines and characters going along that, but they do enough to where you can, you can do that and not feel like you miss them. And I don't feel like it, I feel like they're doing the right amount with that particular plot. Hmm. Hmm. Because, uh, because that one, if I'm going to start ranking now, that one becomes, that, that replaces Hopper for, for maybe my least, uh, least compelling. Well, I do like this. If you're going to have someone travel over a long distance, there should be some downtime. There should be some downtime. I mean, we. Sh- I want to believe at the beginning of the next episode, if they arrive at Hawkins, that they've been traveling for a long time, right? Right. And that doesn't mean that every bit of it was interesting. This is one of the problems I had with the Game of Thrones. Right, stuff, right. right. Yeah, they just show up. Okay, Steve, I am going to con- conclude this podcast by reading an email that I got from Jen in Cleveland. Okay. All right. She starts her email with a quote from Stand By Me. Nobody believes in that crap about moons and goochers, Teddy <laughs> said impatiently. It's baby stuff, Vern. You going to flip or not? All right. So she's got me. She got me right away. Jen, you, you got me just with the uh, the quote from Stand By Me. Then she writes, I, for one, enjoy a good goocher, um, which is uh, I think that we should both Note that this is odd. Mm-hmm. Who would enjoy a goocher? I think it brings an element of excitement to the podcast. I wonder if you'll find a way to incorporate a moon. Oh. 
maybe a bonus topic or something that we haven't heard discussed before. So in this context, a moon would be something good and a gucher would be something bad, right? Gotcha. Um, what do you That's think? Baby. I think it's baby stuff. <laughs> it's all baby stuff. <laughs> I think it's odd that Jen likes the gucher. I don't think the gucher is supposed to be something that you like. I feel like it's something that's necessary for this podcast, but it's almost like um, enjoying playing Russian roulette, you know? Well, but here's the thing is I think if I'm interpreting her correctly and she can feel free to, to reach back out, I think what she's saying is I appreciate a Goocher because there is the other side of the Goocher, and that is the moon. Oh, she so wants to the moon. So to not have, to tolerate the Goocher. Yeah, because so the thing is, is that it, in order for moons to exist, I must believe and accept the goocher and since i am pro moon i have to be pro goocher by definition interesting interesting all right there is more to uh she's saying you don't get your moons without your goochers and 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 i think subtly what she's saying is you guys are giving us nothing but goochers right right or as you know the uh, the the wisdom of of bon jovi every rose has its thorn right that would be poison Oh, <laughs> what does Bon Jovi say? Uh, your love is like bad medicine. Right. Okay. How? Why is bad? Why would bad medicine be something that you would need? Your love is like bad medicine. Bad medicine is what I need. Shake it up. Why would anyone need bad medicine? Well, have you ever had? Have you ever had grape flavored medicine? Oh, that you consider it's that pretty, bad? It's pretty bad. Okay. And I'm, but something, but you still need it. I think, so I mean, if the I, song I would like had, the song more if it was your, your love, love is like, is grape, like medicine. grape medicine. <laughs> a little specific. <laughs> all right, shake it writes, up. We got to shake it up because otherwise, all that grape flavor settles at the bottom. <laughs> I'm actually writing to get your thoughts on the D and D happenings in Hawkins. Clearly, each season is just one long D and D campaign. But do you believe that it's a coincidence that it's coincidental that the events taking place mirror the campaign played at the start of each season, beginning on the night of Will's disappearance in season one? The kids play a game and then a similar monster and plot follow. All right now, here's her theory: Could it be that the campaigns, unbeknownst to the kids, are what is bringing this energy plot to life? We know that the kids have been playing D&T since 1979 because they reference uh, Nancy dressing up like an elf in the Elder Tree campaign. And she says, if the kids hadn't messed with the game, possibly the portal wouldn't have opened. The Hawkins uh, and Hawkins wouldn't be cursed. Maybe that other world wouldn't bleed into Hawkins in true Scooby-Doo fashion if it weren't for those meddling kids. Oh, my goodness. So, do you think that the kids are actually the prime movers of the plot? Would you? So, would, wouldn't that be the twist that the satanic panic is justified? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or that Vecna's been around and he's been sort of watching the kids, waiting to sort of mess with them, and so he's sort of creating this mirror plot that mirrors the board game uh i don't know it's an interesting uh theory jen well so so i wonder so this is probably 
I, I think maybe one of the reasons we're gripped by this particular season so much is because it's lending itself more to the, an end game than uh-huh. maybe because because all of the other ones have always had like sort of your classic horror tease at the end that there's more to it right but like the last one sort of you know i mean the, they, they give you this sort of post credits or they give you something that says oh there's more to it than this or there's something going on here maybe is hopper alive you have those kinds of questions so you're you have theory. this one lends itself to more theories because i think the uh, how elaborate uh vecna as a villain is um mm. Because the mind flayer, we like we never really understood the motivation so much. It just sort of was, there was this this other entity that was, you know, psychically connected, but all the same. But like we now we have human motivations, so there we there's a different there's there's a different level of thinking right. at stake that we should be now we can try to get in the head of this thing in a way. Well, that we and couldn't. also Vecna can get into the head of the kids better. You right. know, what does the Demogorgon know about the, the motivations of the kids? Right. You know, so, the, the, so, yeah. they, they are as alien to the Demogorgon as the Demogorgon is to them. You had the Vecna thing, and now Vecna can kind of, like, mess with Nancy's psyche, right, over Barb's uh, death. Well, and that's, that's not something a Demogorgon can do. Well, the beauty of this whole thing so far, and I think that's why it lends itself to all these different theories and different, uh, you know, levels of anticipation is uh, over on this side of the world, the right side up, so to speak, we have L who can help us defeat the upside down. Well, now the upside down to at this point now has their L and that's right. Yeah. And so and an L that could be more powerful, you know, because uh, just because adults are generally more powerful than kids. Well, that's interesting. So Jen concludes her email. She says, it's after 1 a.m. as I write this, and I'm not entirely sober. Mm. So I hope the thoughts above are cogent and that you find them of value. Thanks for hearing me out. Ta-ta for now. Pass the duchy. So all of this may be moot because they're, they're the musings of a madwoman. <laughs> that's even better for me. The idea <laughs> the idea that she may not even meant to, to email us at all. <laughs> This was meant for the new Double Dragon pod. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) 